invite you to take out your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, as we talk about sharing your faith. Last week we talked about sharing our faith with the next generation. Today, sharing your gifts, a way to share your faith in um, very action-oriented ways. Next week, we'll talk about sharing our faith through our words. Um, Hope you come back for that. We're going to read verses 7 through 11 in 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near, Peter writes, because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back as king. The end of all things is near, he writes. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, We all have at one time or another been in a situation where we've heard something like this. Time's almost up. Could be in class, you're finishing an exam. Teacher says, time's almost up. I remember uh, working on engineering exams, and the professor would say, time's almost up. And whew, and that was, that meant it was time to try to pick as much low-hanging fruit off the rest of the exam as possible. Uh, find problems that you somewhat knew uh, what the answer was going to be and try to get as much points as possible. Um, maybe you've been at the grocery store, and you're, you're shopping doing your list, and you hear five minutes, and the store closes, time's almost up. Um, I may be at the store, I may have a few dollars to spend, and if I have time, five minutes, to either go get Cocoa Puffs or coffee for Melissa, um, how am I going to best spend my time? Is that going to be getting Cocoa Puffs for me? No, it is not. If you thought Cocoa Puffs was the right answer, Remind me never to ask you to go shopping for me. Um, I got to get coffee for Melissa. Get my priorities straight. Whenever time is almost up, it means uh, it's time to do that which is most important. Get your priorities straight. Um, Do what is absolutely necessary. And in this passage, verse 7, Peter says, Time's up. It's almost up. The end of all things is near. Now that's something that we might expect to hear out of the mouth of a doomsday prophet, right? Um, Is time almost up? 2,000 years ago, Peter said, time's almost up. Is time almost up today? Uh, Many people may say, well, you know, things are looking rather bad. (laughs) 
And didn't Jesus say that before he comes back, things are going to be looking pretty bad? Maybe time is almost up. Um, Now, Peter, when he said time's almost up, he was, the context was uh, Christians living in the Roman Empire. And the heat was being turned on for the Christians. Uh, the Roman, in the Roman Empire, there were many um, cultural practices and celebrations and festivals that included all kinds of behavior that, you know, and the scriptures would say it's kind of off limits. All kinds of sexual behaviors um, a part of these ritualistic festivals that um, the Bible would say stay away from that. And all these festivals would also include the worship of, of the Roman gods and Christians. Uh, they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate in those important social customs and practices. And therefore, they were being persecuted. And Peter's saying to the Christians, stay strong. Stay focused. The end is near. Time's almost up. Stay focused and do what is most important. I don't know if you've been feeling a little increased pressure as a Christian today. I don't know. Um, I think it's pretty reasonable to feel that way, that increasingly people from the outside are looking in and thinking, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you not doing the things that you're not doing? You know, throughout history, the church has been a place where people had to stick together for encouragement and support and strength to, to get together and, and to help fellow Christians to hang on and to remain faithful. You know, when things are peaceful and plentiful, I think it's a lot easier for Christians to uh, make the mistake and think, ah, you know, I'm pretty good on my own. I'm all right. You know, I don't mind coming on Sunday mornings to hopefully hear a good sermon. Um, just to stay connected to God and sing some songs. It's easy to start thinking that way when things are peaceful and plentiful. But what I'm hoping is that as we go through the Scripture today, you will feel urged to think of ways that you can support others in the body of Christ. That you can think of ways that you can be connected to others at Hope Church. And... Um, and think of something that you can share with your other brothers and sisters in Christ here. Um, Peter, in this passage, tells the ancient Christians how to do that. And I want to I look through really three verses and land on verse 10 and spend more time on verse 10. Do some fill-ins on your note sheet on verse 10. But um, let's start with verse 8, first of all. Peter says, love above all else. The, the most important thing right here, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, how can you tell if you are loving deeply? And does that mean that your heart starts pounding when you think of someone? Oh, I just love this person so deeply. And you, you get quite emotional when you think of... Uh, someone perhaps is that what it means to love deeply not in this not in this verse that is not what loving deeply means the word for deeply there is ectenes and the end of that word is where we get our word tension ectenes tension so think about something being strong 
stretched out tight. And so there, there's, there's a, it was kind of an athletic term that was, that was used um, back in, in ancient uh, Rome. This word ectenis, to stretch out, to reach out, to give it your all, to extend as far as you can. Imagine a 100-meter dash, and there's two racers, and they're leaving everyone else in the dust, and it's just those two people getting close to the finish line. They're looking at one another, and they're just going all out at the end of the race. They're extending as far as they can to be the first one to cross the finish line. That is ectenis. To, to give yourself wholly to what you're doing. So that's what Peter is saying. Uh, love each other deeply means to, to give it your all. It, it, it refers much less to emotion and much more to effort. To love deeply. Love with great determined effort. Just reach out and keep going and try to beat everyone else to the finish line. And then Peter gives um, ways to carry this out. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was really important. It's important today. It sometimes was a matter of maybe even life or death in, in ancient times because when people were traveling from town to town, they didn't have all the different hotel options that we have today. I mean, my gosh, we got all kinds of hotels. You go down to Barrio Boulevard and around Highway 3, and there's like 70 different hotels, Home 2 and Home Wood and Candlewood and Would You Want to Stay Here Hotel, all these kinds of different hotels. And uh, they didn't have all those choices, not in Peter's day. So it would have been much more dangerous to travel. And without a place to stay, you'd have to stay under a tree, like right next to the robbers overnight. And might get beaten up, um, or worse. So the point of hospitality is, and this is true today, even though things seem maybe a little safer. But the point of hospitality is that you have something to share. And it may feel like a sacrifice sharing it. But what you have to share is desperately needed by someone else. And I want you to think about that as we continue with our scripture. You have something to share. And it may seem like a sacrifice for you to share it. But someone else desperately needs what you have to give. And this idea of... Meeting needs, it's continued in verse 10. And this is the verse I want to land on. So if you, if you do the note sheets, you can take out your note sheet and get some fill-ins for verse 10. Um, I'm going to go through kind of three words about this verse. And then uh, we'll, we'll think more about what it means to share gifts. Youth, I want you to be thinking about your gift, um, how you've shared gifts, how you've seen others share gifts. You can go talk about it in just a little bit. But here's verse 10. Uh, Let's go through this together. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The beginning of verse 10 says that you have received a gift. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 is one of those 
scriptures that have traditionally been used to talk about spiritual gifts. Um, And the word spiritual never appears in this verse. So we rely on other scriptures in the Bible that make this connection between the gifts that we receive and the Holy Spirit. And that's why we call them spiritual gifts, because we believe that we receive them through the Spirit of God. And that, that word gift there, it, um, it actually is the word charisma. Charisma, where we get our word charismatic. Now, don't think uh, that that word means charismatic, that you're full of the Spirit, because that's not what it means. It's not what charismatic means. Uh, where do we get our word charisma? You know where we get that word? Uh, let's look at the word uh, charis, that is the word for grace. Charisma doesn't mean being full of spirit. It means being full of grace. What does it say about the gifts that we receive that Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 4? It means gifts come from grace, from God's grace. So why is the word charisma translated as gift, if, if it really means grace or comes from grace. Well, actually, there have been some people that have suggested word, a word like gracelets, like instead of a gift that you received, a gracelet. But they're just kind of making up a word, and sometimes that's not very helpful, making up this word. I think we translate it gift because it's something that we receive. We don't do anything to earn it. It's not something we've purchased that we've deserved in any way. It's just given to us, and we receive it. Kind of like God's grace. It's a gift. Now, uh, when we think of grace, God's grace, what do, you, what do you think of? Like, what do you connect most often with God's grace? Unmerited favor? That's a great, that, that's a great uh, definition. Description of God's grace. Absolutely. Um, I've heard God's love in action. That's a good way of thinking about grace. Let me tell you what I often think when I think of grace. Um, I often think of forgiveness power. Like, like that which God provides for the forgiveness of sins is grace. Um, but we have to realize that God's grace is much more than that. We receive favor from God, unmerited favor, in ways other than just our sins being forgiven. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul describes this. He doesn't really describe it. He just talks about this thorn that he has in his flesh. Y'all remember that chapter of the Bible, that section, the story that the Apostle Paul Uh, where the Apostle Paul writes about this affliction that he has, a thorn in his flesh, he describes. And we don't really know what he's talking about. It's highly likely that it's some physical ailment, but it might not be. You know, some people suggest it's something with Paul's eyesight, poor eyesight. Um, But it may be something else. It could be something emotional or spiritual, some other kind of affliction and some physical affliction. But at any rate, Paul prays to God over and over again. Three times he says he 
prayed earnestly that God would remove this thorn in his flesh. And likely you've had something like that as well. Some condition, some frustration, some... I mean, it could be a physical ailment. It could be just something about my life that's not going the way I want it to. And you've prayed to God, God, will you take this? Will you change this? Will you do something different? And, And Paul was feeling that way, prayed three times, God, take away this thorn in my flesh. And here's what Paul heard from God. Chapter... 12, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that interesting? My grace is sufficient. Now, he's not talking about forgiveness of sins for Paul. He's just saying, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So grace here is more than just forgiveness power. God's grace is that which covers up any weakness in our life, some deficiency, something that's going in a direction we don't want to go, some, you know, some failure, some, some adversity that we're facing, and, and God's grace comes in and provides strength through our weakness, whatever that weakness is. God gives strength for us to do things we normally, on our own, are incapable of doing. That's an example of grace, God's grace at work. And Peter says, God's grace is, is working in your life in that way. God is meeting needs in your life. And now you look for ways to serve others and meet their needs. Now, when we think of spiritual gifts, I think the message that often is presented is that you should be faithful with what God has entrusted you with. And that's very true. You know, if God has given you some ability... It is unfaithful not to use that ability. I think that's correct. But Peter is saying something more than that in this verse. So let's, let's look at another word from verse 10. Uh, we are stewards of God's grace, Peter writes. What is a steward? Who is a steward? Here's what everyone who was reading this from Peter, thought of when they read steward. Stewards maintain the house. I mean, the word steward there literally means a household steward, a household manager, someone that was given the the power and the resources to run a household. It comes from the word oikos, meaning the word house. Now, here's why this is important. Earlier in Peter, in, in this letter, First uh, Peter, Peter writes, chapter 2, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You're being built into a spiritual oikos, Peter says. And in order for the church to be this house, the spiritual oikos, that runs as it should, the steward, the house manager, must share what God has entrusted that person with. In order for the house to function as it should, the manager has to do his or her job and share what God has entrusted that manager with. Spiritual gifts 
aren't just ways to become more involved in a church, right? It's not, here, take this spiritual gift inventory, which many of us have done, and get plugged in somewhere. I mean, that's part of it. But Peter is saying more. He is saying, when you use your gifts, you're not just plugging in somewhere. God uses that to help build up this house that he's constructing. And sometimes, I worry that as Christians, we don't see the church for what it really is, a spiritual house. I want to show you this picture I took um, a little over a week ago. I don't know if you can really see what, what's in the picture. Um, over on the left, that's one side of a house. Over on the right, there's a big excavator, and there's another house. So can you guess what's in the middle there? That's, uh, that, that, yeah, that's a big old pile of rubble. So in my walking path, uh, this is not far from my house, a house burned down. If that was your house, I'm sorry. I don't know whose house that was. It could be one of yours. I'm so sorry, your house burned down. Um, and it finally was demolished. Now, nobody walking by there would look at that pile of rubble and say, hey, look at that house, right? No one would call this right here a house. That's a house. That's a house. That in the middle is just a big pile of rubble. What? But it's, it's made of the same stuff. That big pile is... It's the, it's the same stuff as the house to the left and the house to the right. Same bricks, same concrete, same wood used for studs in the wall and, and plywood. It's absolutely the, the same material. So what makes a house a house? Well, it's when all that stuff is properly connected together. All the lumber, all the plywood, the bricks... Each beam, each board, each bracket, each nail, each screw are properly supporting one another. That's what makes the house the house. And then you stick a family in there and it's really complete. The church is quite the same way. I mean, you see a bunch of people gathered in the sanctuary. That is not what makes us the church. It's when we are connected and supported and uplifting each other, connected together. Each person sharing what it has to share. That makes us this spiritual house that Peter knows is the church. So Peter says, share God's grace in your life as someone with whom God has entrusted the building of this house, sharing God's grace in its various forms. All right, one more word from this verse. Uh, when you see the word variety in its various forms, God's grace in its various forms, this is what you should think. Think colorful variety. Because I can go to the hardware store to work on my house and get some nails and screws, and there's a variety of nails and screws. And they're all gray and silver and not very exciting. That is not what this word means, variety, here. Uh, at, at the heart of that word is, um, is, is colorful. As, as a, a, you know, rainbow variety is what this word 
is implying much more inspirational than just a bunch of gray, silver, different shape lengths uh, of, of nuts and bolts from the hardware store. It's beautiful. Rainbow effects. So Peter is talking about God's grace as that which shines in our life and it produces just brilliant colors, all these different colors. It's rainbow effect. And you've received this gift. God has been working in your life in some way. He shared his grace in one of its many colorful ways in your life. He says, I want you to share what I've been doing in your life with others to help build up the spiritual house. All right, students, I'm going to dismiss you all. I want you to share more about how you've seen gifts in others and how you've seen one another sharing gifts, how you may have shared your gifts within the church. Over the last 50 or so years, spiritual gifts has become a much more popular topic among Christians. It's kind of interesting when you study spiritual gifts. Um, obviously, Peter is writing. Paul wrote about spiritual gifts. Peter did. Throughout church history, I mean, it, it wasn't a, necessarily a big topic, but it's become a really big topic lately, spiritual gifts, last 50 years or so. Um, generally, there are four scriptures that we turn to to learn about spiritual gifts in the scriptures. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here in 1 Peter chapter 4, and in Ephesians chapter 4. A lot of people would include Ephesians 4 in that list. So you can go through these different uh, verses in the Bible and put together a list of examples of gifts. And so here's a few, uh, if we do that, here's some of the gifts that we can um, kind of pull out from these verses. Now, these are in your note sheet, by the way. Um, and I've kind of categorized them because it's, it's kind of fun to do that, to categorize these different gifts. Since people spend lots of time thinking about how, what are, what are some of the different kinds of gifts and how, how do we make sense of them? So I've done that. Teaching, preaching, wisdom, knowledge. And then leadership, kind of the teaching gifts. And leadership, administration, the leadership gifts. And then the serving gifts, mercy, encouragement, serving, helping, hospitality, giving. And then the kind of miraculous gifts, healing, miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. And that last little section, there's some disagreement. Are those gifts currently being given by God to the church? And some Christians say, no, that was for back in the day. That was for back in the apostles' time. And some people say, no, God does give those gifts today to be used. Um, if you ask third world Christians, Christians in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, they're going to be saying, yeah, God gives, God still gives those gifts today because they, they see it all the time. But anyway, some lists of gifts. Um, and... And you have a gift, and as you look at that list, you may be like, oh, I know what mine is, I, I, and I've known it for a while. It's this. That word is so important to me. Or you may be looking at that list and be thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know if any of those really connect with my life. I don't know if I have those gifts. Um, these are, that, that's an incomplete list, a very incomplete list of examples of gifts. Um, because God, God doesn't just give this, you know, this list of 20 gifts, this discrete list. 
No, he, he, he has infinite rainbow variety of colorful gifts that uh, God gives. Let's talk about what spiritual gifts aren't and what they are. Uh, spiritual gifts aren't uh, gifts meant for yourself. Um, they're gifts for someone else. <laughs> uh, so they're not something that you can enjoy all by yourself if... You know, take take whatever gift you have. If you have a gift for a compassionate heart for others, I mean, God has just developed that gift in you. That gift isn't meant for you. That's that's meant for you to give someone else. You're just the delivery person for that gift. So they're not gift for yourself. They're not status symbols. Um, some early Christians thought this. They really wanted the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, and the Apostle Paul says that every one of you has received a gift and none is more important than the other other gifts, and they're all needed. So don't look for them as status symbols to see what kind of level of Christianity you're at if you've got one of the more miraculous gifts. No, they're, they're not status symbols. And they're not burdens. You know, you, you may have heard spiritual gift sermons before, um, and... And the, the, the pastors say, now you need to get out there and use your gifts. And you think, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't have time to. These are not burdens. <laughs> no one should be saying, shoot, I guess I, I have to share my gift. No, these, they're not burdens from God. There's they're, they're something that God has given you by his grace working in your life. What are gifts? Uh, here's, here's just a sentence I came up with. Maybe not a definition, but a description. They are blessings we receive from God's grace that allow us to be blessings to others. And this isn't a hard or fast rule I'm going to give you, but I think there is often some correlation with how we receive blessings from God and how God wants us to be blessings to others. Um, and, and we often receive God's blessings through adversity in our life, difficulty in our life, um, the, the experiences of our life. Maybe you've, you've had a profound experience of the forgiveness of your sins and, and really experienced God's mercy in a powerful way. Um, we, we all have received the forgiveness of our sins. Some people may feel like they're overachievers in that category of having sins to forgive. Maybe you've just really felt in a powerful way the mercy of God. Don't you think that would urge you to have mercy upon others? See how God blesses us in a particular way so that we will be blessings to others in that, in that, in that same way? Um, maybe you've experienced God reaching into your life, giving you tremendous uh, encouragement, inspiration as you've read his word and, and you've just seen some things as you've studied the scriptures that have really been meaningful to your mind and it's inspired you. It's kind of made you feel excited as a Christian. Maybe that's the way that you've experienced God's grace. Well, wouldn't you, if so, wouldn't you think that would kind of urge you to share those insights with others and teach about God's word? Maybe God has given you courage through his wisdom 
uh, not, not wisdom, sorry, uh, courage through his word to stand firm. Uh, maybe you've, you've received courage to make an important change in your life, and your life is now the better because of it. Well, wouldn't that urge you to kind of encourage others to do the same thing, to, to have courage as they make a change in their life, or to be obedient to, to God's word? Maybe you've um, felt very welcomed by Christians here at Hope Church. Um, maybe that has helped bring healing to a broken heart. If so, if that's how you've experienced God's grace, don't you think that would urge you to include others in God's family and reach out and show them hospitality and welcome them? You see how there's often a correlation with how we receive the grace of God, meeting some weakness, some, some, some difficulty in our life, blessing us, and then moving us to bless others in, in a similar way. So that's one way I think we receive these gifts from God, just His grace pouring in our life. And there's another way that God is gracious, gracious in shaping our life. And, and it, it, sometimes it doesn't include going through some difficult experience or exposing a weakness in us. Uh, it's just God is gracious to the world by giving a variety of talents and strengths and abilities. And He's like, I want to create some beautiful, talented, gifted people. Because people are God's, uh, his, his utmost and highest creation. And it certainly would make sense that God just gives gifts and skills and strengths and abilities just as an expression of his goodness. So God has given musical talents and organizing talents and writing talents and welcoming talents, all kinds of strengths and gifts. that he then wants us to use. I want to look at verse 11, and I want to talk about two ways that we can share these gifts. Way number one is in how we speak. Verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves... They should do so with the strength that God provides. So Peter gives this great way of understanding how to apply spiritual gifts through speaking and serving. You know, I had those different categories of, of gifts listed earlier. Peter just is really simple about it. Think about how you can bless others through how you, how you speak, through what you say, and how you serve, how you act, your actions. I think that's a beautiful way to think about spiritual gifts and not, not getting over, overly technical and trying to analyze it you know, down to the minute detail, but rather, okay, God, I'm going to bless people with the words I say and the actions that I do. Help me to do that. So Peter says, speak as one speaking the words of God. That's a bold statement. <laughs> I think that, that prompts us to pray. You know, if you're teaching or providing someone with counsel, I want to I speak the very words of God, but I, I need to pray that I'll be able to do that because I, I can't do that on my own. So God, speak through me, and then you can trust God to do that. 
that God often speaks through us on preparation, through preparation on our part. Yeah, I think of writing a sermon. You can think of it in your own way, but for me, it's writing a sermon. And if I were to pray, God, I just want you to speak through me and not do any preparation. I'm just going to wing it this morning. It's going to be an awful mess up here, an awful mess. There will not be inspirational stuff coming out of my mouth. Um, Sometimes God speaks to us through our preparation. But you can still pray that, God, what, you know, in, in your context, and I'll be sermon writing, but God, I, I want you to, to speak through me. You can pray that and trust that God's, God's going to do that. I mean, Peter is saying that. Speak as if the words are coming from God. And if you pray that prayer, I don't think God's going to say, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> nah, forget it. And then... Uh, Use your gifts in how we serve, Peter writes. The service gifts, leaderships, serving, helping, showing mercy, showing hospitality, giving, healing. These action-oriented ways to, to share God's grace. If you serve, serve with the strength that God provides. That word uh, can mean power and might and force. It's a strong word. Serve vigorously. I thought about that in my life. I'm one for rest and balance in life, you know, and not getting overly taxed and just running yourself to the bone. And so we'll be at at home um, at my house, and Melissa, my wife, will be, she will just be bounding full of energy, getting stuff done at the house. And I'll be like, hey, let's go on a walk. Hey, let's go outside and try to have some balance in our life, you know, and I think I need to listen to her more often. It's kind of, it's time to roll up our sleeves, roll up my sleeves, and um, and get some work done. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. Yes, have balance in your life. Yeah, if you're, if you're getting four hours of sleep a night, you can't do that forever. You need balance and rest. But also, Christians, we've got to roll up our sleeves and serve vigorously with the strength that God provides. And realize that when we're doing that, Jesus is working through us. All right, I want to close with one more scripture. It's from Acts chapter 1. Luke, who wrote Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And this is what he writes at the beginning of his book of Acts, letter, this, this letter he wrote. Um, in my former book, Theophilus, it's at the beginning of Acts. And the former book he's talking about is the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Now, why would Luke write uh, that he's writing about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven? Why, why, why wouldn't he write, okay, I'm going to write about everything that Jesus did, all that Jesus taught and did. And then one day he was taken up into heaven. Why, why not that? Instead, Luke said, I want to write about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he was taken up into heaven. Because Jesus began to teach and to act and to do. And he still does it now. 
He began it. And he continues to do it today. But the way that he continues to do it so often is through you, through me, through the church. So share your gifts and how you speak and through how you serve. As Peter says, the end of all things is near. Time's almost up. Time's almost up. Time to get with the most urgent, important business. And there is nothing better that you can do with your time and your life than to allow Jesus to work through you by sharing what he's done through his grace in your life and by blessing someone else. Let's pray. God, you are the good father of infinite mercy and grace. In your grace, we receive it in such a beautiful rainbow expression of ways. Just your goodness in so many different ways in our life. Help us to notice how we've received these gifts from your grace. You've developed strengths. You've developed in us a heart for others. You've given us talents. And we need to use them as good stewards, as ones that you've entrusted with building up your spiritual house. Lord, as we go about today, as we go about our week, Lord, will this word stay in our heart and encourage us to think deeply about what you've given us that we can use as a blessing for someone else. And then have just the commitment to putting that into practice. Help us to serve vigorously with efforts to love deeply. We pray all this in Jesus' name.